Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet community. We're back with uh, what what we didn't anticipate was going to become part two um, of our resume and interview series with uh, Scott Vetter. This is Trevor Maxwell. And with me, as always, is my man with the plan. Mike Riggs. Yep. And, and Scott, you're back today too. Right, you introduced yourself in the last part, unless you want to introduce yourself again. Thanks guys. It's uh, great to be back with you again. And if you didn't listen in last time, I'm Scott Vetter. I was a fortune 100 recruiter and most people's resumes and interviews were pretty awful. So I wrote books about resumes and interviews called signs of a great resume and signs of a great interview to help understand a recruiter's point of view. So you can get a job that uh, really brings to light the best of your skills and qualifications in the civilian workforce. Yeah. And, and the last time, you know, if you listen, go back and listen to part one, if you haven't already, but uh, we really kind of did a deep dive on the resume piece. And so today we're going to kind of focus more on the interview side of the house. And it's yeah. so much a process, you know, the, the networking, the resume, you know, and then sealing the deal with the interview. And I think this is such a key part of the veteran transition process. And I, it's got such a subject matter expert on this piece. It's great to have you. Thanks, Mike. And you hit on the very important first part of this process that a lot of people seem to skip, which is networking. And that absolutely is the first and most important thing you need to do is spend some time working your network and connecting with people to build legitimate relationships. It's not, you know, let's know somebody over so job. It's let me actually learn from someone. And those are often called informational interviews. And a lot of what we'll talk about today with the signs of a great interview are exactly the same skills and techniques you can imply, employ when you're doing an informational interview too. Yeah. That, you know, that's, uh, everybody says it, I guess it's, it's one of those things where you actually have to go out there and do it before it really clicks for you. But that's, you know, me over the last few years doing coaching and stuff like that. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who realistically they got the job, you know, by doing the networking. Yeah. And I'd say the best way to apply for a job is not to apply for a job. So, you know, networking often is the way, especially in the more senior ranks, you know, when I'm talking to E18-9s and and 05s and 6s who have been 20, 30 years, you have a robust network and very often you have a more generalist role. And so it's not very often that there's a distinct next job that you're going to be interviewing for as much as you should be interviewing for how your skills can potentially help an employer through things like informational interviews. So when you get out there and and before you're out, long before you separate, you should be starting to make those connections in fields where you think you have some interest, you're curious about something, and you're, you're simply reaching out to say, hey, you know, I'm on my way out of the service, and you know, can I pick your brain a little bit about what makes someone successful at your organization? I just want to learn, and that should be your goal, is just learning. And you have pegged it right exactly where I'm at at the in the transition process right now. I'm at the six to seven month mark from my transition in October, and that is exactly where I'm at right now. Is, is trying to figure out and talk to those folks. You know, I'm the E9 at the 30 year mark and I'm doing exactly that. And yeah, it's, it's just getting out there and getting out of your comfort zone and talking to people and figuring things out. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. And, it, and it's consistent. It's a practice too. It's a, if you have never done it, cause I'm not, I'm not comfortable doing it. It's not something that comes naturally to me. It is something that I'm having to force myself and I'm getting better at it, you know, to getting out and meeting people. It, you know, it's easy in the military because I have that rank and I have that community. So I have that, I have automatic clout walking into that room, but it's much different in a suit and tie or, or a polo shirt or on a LinkedIn connection. It's completely different. So you have to establish yourself much differently than you do in, in a military setting and then figuring out how to translate that, which I think you do a great job in your book 
Thanks, Mike. And, you know, uh, I always say the best way to start any interview process, informational interviews or even job interviews, if you have any say in it, is to start on friendly territory. So when you're networking with folks through LinkedIn and whatnot, the easiest thing to do is in the search bar at the top. What field or company do you want to work at? Find that company's page and click people, then filter those results to Navy. If you can't find sailors who already work there, swallow your pride and type Army. And work your way all the way down through Space Force, and you're bound to find somebody that will understand parts of your experience. And here's the thing about interviews. I want to start by just dispelling some myths and kind of set the stage for what an interview is and is not. And what it is not is a test, a quiz, an interrogation. It's not any of those things. If you break the word interview down into its most simple form, inter and you, it's between two parties, a perspective. You are just there to share your perspective and to gain some perspective in the process. For most interview questions, there are not right and wrong answers. Most of the time, you're saying the right answer if you're sharing your perspective, but you have to put a couple of filters on that perspective to make sure it's an effective perspective to share in that interview. And that's where the signs of a great interview come in. And if you're watching over my shoulder, there's these symbols. And if not at home, you might've heard me say this last time, look down at your keyboard, above the numbers one through five are the signs of a great interview. They are also the signs of a great resume. So not different stuff than your resume, but the first symbol is exclamation point. Wow, look at what I did. No one else could say it. At what point you gain relevant experience and some numbers, dollars, and percent that quantify what makes you the best fit for the job. When the perspective you share in an interview includes the signs of a great interview, you're going to tell a story that speaks for itself. That's great stuff. And I know I love the part in your book is I think in the in your uh, resume edition and in the, in the resume veterans edition, you've, you've done something different in the interview veterans edition. You put in Intel just for vets. I absolutely love that you did that. And one of the things when I was going through I, in, in speaking specifically about the interview process, you talked about an Intel officer and how he when he was going through the interview process, he looked at it as it can be adversarial, as it's kind of a we, a me against them or, uh, you know, and we can sometimes, because Trevor and I have done a lot of these proficiency boards, specifically like the Master Explosive Ordnance Disposal Technician Board, where we don't ever want to divulge any more information than what we think they want to know. And you talk about that, and I think that's a great point you bring out in the book. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really about focusing the message. There's a lot of things you can do. If you're a master EOD or somebody with 30 years or frankly, an E3 who's been in five years, you know, you have a lot to talk about. And there's a lot of interesting stuff, but interesting is not interview material necessarily. And so you really want to focus that message. This is not an adversarial conversation in an interview because to set the stage here, Yes, I have something as the recruiter that you want, a job, but I also have a problem and that there is somebody missing in my organization. Maybe they quit, maybe we're growing and we're adding new people, maybe they retired after a successful career and now, oh, where did all that knowledge go with that person? I am at a deficit. So if you wanna look at who's got the upper hand here, in a way, as the candidate, you do, because you've got something I definitely need the skills and experience that help me do whatever it is that I do in my organization. I don't have a choice but to fill that job. You could go work somewhere else. So as to who's got the upper hand, I really think when you walk in into an interview, most of the time the candidate has the upper hand. Now, it won't feel like that because I set the time of the appointment. I tell you where to show up, when to show up, at what times I'm willing to talk to you, and I ask all the questions and ultimately make the decision to offer the job. But remember, the ultimate decision in the interview process to accept the job. So when all that process is said and done, you still have the upper hand and you can tell me yes or no. I think that's we, you know, that's a concept uh, that a lot of transitioning service members find hard to grasp after they get out, and and maybe even something like that where it's, 
you know, we're so used to being like, Hey, you know, you're going to San Diego or, Hey, you're going to, you know, Fort bliss. <laughs> you can actually say no. Um, and once you get the job, if you don't like it, you can say no. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, some pretty startling statistics and although these have not been updated for you know the COVID world that we're in now but as recently as a couple of years ago there was a study done that said that 40 percent of veterans who find their first job leave it within a year and after two years it's 80 percent of veterans leave that first job and that I think is in part because sometimes it's a clear path and you want to hit a button that's like, okay, it's a sure bet. You know, there's a, a, an organization that contracts back to my command. So I'm going to take this job because they know me. I know them. They need my Rolodex or my skill set. They want to sell more stuff back to the Navy. And people who take that first opportunity, maybe it really is to get their, their sea legs, so to speak, in the civilian world. Or maybe it's that's just what they knew. So that's what they did. But the civilian workforce and your civilian career is really a choose-your-own-adventure. And you don't have to do anything next. You are the uh, captain of your fate and the master of your soul in that regard. And you get to decide what the next chapter is. So that's why, like Mike is doing and like so many transitioning service members are doing, taking the time before you get out to really understand what drives you, what's your purpose, and what do you want out of the next chapter of your career can lead you to a first job that might be your final civilian job where you'll stay a long time and maybe retire from that too. So you, there's no indictment here if you're leaving a job that you don't like. You should certainly not stay somewhere and be unhappy. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of days where you're like, gosh, I wish I could get out of this particular assignment in some areas in the military, right? And you can't, but in the civilian world, you can. If you're not happy, and you're not doing something that's fulfilling or using your skills and or you're being mistreated or not valued, don't stay and, and keep you know, pushing to find whatever that next chapter might be. Even if it takes some time, it's okay. And I, I want to go back to another one of your intel just for vets too. You talk about one of our, one of our own community members, a Navy OD guy who got into the private equity investment and it's, you know, how does a guy who disarms bombs go and does he, how's he go into private equity investment or where does that translate? And you go into, well, he's pretty doggone, daggone good at managing risk. You know, he's been doing that for a very, very long time. And that translates very well into that career path. So, you know, folks, you know, veterans and folks like, like us and, you know, we, we got to look at those types of things and figure out those parallels and how they translate, you know, start thinking a little bit outside of the box and not just strictly within the MOS, like where does EOD really translate out into the civilian world, you know, word for word, looking at the thesaurus, it's not really like that. It, you got to look at some of the things that you have in here and some of the stuff that you bring out and really think outside the box and go, Oh, risk mitigation, risk assessment. Where does that translate in other career fields and career paths? Where do I fall in in that? And I think the, the, some of the stuff you point out here is phenomenal with regards to that. Thanks, Mike. And you know, to, to go back to what you said about what's the direct translation of EOD, there isn't one. We don't do that in the civilian world. That's what you're there for in the Navy. <laughs> like, if we need that skill, we're calling you. Uh, or like the police department, and they've got a bomb squad. I know it's different, but like maybe that's the closest next thing, right? Or contracting back to some EOD unit to sell them other tools for EOD. Well, most of the EODs I've worked with, and I've worked with a handful of you, that's not what they want to do next. Um, and so you've spent your life in a very high risk, high intensity job, uh, where now the next chapter does not have to be that way, but those skills transfer over. So it brings me to the most important thing you need to think about in an interview. And it's really just answering one question. A lot of people ask me, oh, what question should I prepare to answer? There's so many I could be asked. That's true. But I only need you to answer one simple question. And it's very plainly this. Can you tell me a story about why you're a great fit for this job? And I need you to answer that question over and over and over again. Can you tell me a story about why you're a great fit for this job? 
Because that answers the most common problem that civilian recruiters like me face, which is we ask a question and we just get either a canned response, like a script you wrote because you figured you were gonna get that question, or we get a nothing answer, or we get some guessing type of answer. And what I mean by that is, well, I guess what I would do is something like this for these you know, situational type of interview questions or behavioral interview questions. Well, I guess I might do this and perhaps I'd do that. Well, you're not gonna guess your way into your next job. The best indicator of future success is past success. So when you answer the one simple question, can you tell me a story about why you're a great fit for this job? The best answer to that question is one simple answer. Yes, here's how I've done the thing you just asked me about. Let me tell you a story. And the way you tell an effective story is you use the signs of a great interview to describe the specific ways that you've demonstrated the skill they're asking about and shown some past success that indicates you might be successful in the future. So this EOD tech, he's not gonna get asked, so tell me about diffusing explosives. That's not a question that's gonna come up in private equity. What questions may come up are things like risk analysis and assessment. So how do you analyze risk to make sound investments might be a question you get. Now, the EOD guy, he might not have practiced that exact answer, but all you gotta do is picture that I had closed captioned the interview and at the bottom of the screen it says, can you tell me a story about why you're a great fit for this job? And what he might respond with is a specific instance where he managed risk and analyzed it to then make an investment in the strategy he was pursuing. So yeah, I, I have certainly analyzed risk in order to make sound investments in really operational plans. Let me tell you about a time when we were working with a, a team over in the Middle East and we had 75 data points to analyze, but we needed was X, Y, and Z. And get down to how does the skill transfer over? It's not about the technical job, you know, what process you followed to dispose of explosives. That's not what we need to know. We need to know what is the process and example of how you analyze that risk and how you made a sound investment in this case or just sound decision making for the, the opportunity at hand. I, I think that's where something where somebody like Mike, who's been at that kind of you know, 30,000 foot view for a while, it's probably easy for him to answer or, you know, kind of relate that, right? Because they, they know how to think like big, big picture type um, or think in the aggregate, however you want to say it. Um, I could see like maybe somebody who hadn't spent 20 or 30 years in there looking at big picture type stuff, maybe having some issues with that. Yeah, and, and I'm under no false pretenses here that uh, everybody should have 30 years of experience and you'll be great at interviews. No, uh, I think there's obviously varying levels of ex expertise in your field and varying levels of complexity of the work you've done, depending on how long you've served. And that's true in the civilian world too, right? Somebody who's only five years or 10 years into their career has a different amount of purview and a different layer of the work they're used to working in, not the 30,000 foot level, probably the feet on the ground level. And that's okay. It's very likely that the jobs you're going to seek are not going to be jobs where you have to understand the 30,000 foot level. You're gonna to have to understand how does it work day to day. And so part of the uh, kind of curation of your stories that you need to figure out what to tell in an interview is to do what you're likely good at and gather some intelligence and then make a mission plan. In Signs of a Interview Veterans Edition, at the back of the book, I actually have what I call the Signs Story Cards. And this is a tool that you can employ, and I'm pulling one up here, where you can record your stories. And all I want you to do is think about five individual stories. But before you write down stories you think you want to tell, you need to assess what I might want to know about. And that's the intel I need you to gather. I need you to go through job postings at that organization and understand what's important to them. Then on each line of the signed story card, you'll find a dotted line. Above the dotted line, write a couple words you know they're gonna ask you about because the intelligence suggests this is a priority. If the first thing on their job posting says, this role is responsible for analyzing risk and the first qualification is, must be able to uh, examine data to analyze risk, guess what kind of question you're gonna get? You don't know how they'll phrase it, but I can bet you they're gonna ask you about analyzing risk. So now you have a, pre a preparation period before you go into the interview to go, all right, what are the stories that I can remind myself about that show how I analyze risk? 
And very simply, I don't want you to type out the script of the story because as an EOD, what you are not is an actor. So don't write a script because you're not gonna be good at reading a script. You're good at what you do. Just be good at that. And by telling your story, you don't need to write a script. It's your story, you lived it. You know how the story goes. So you just write a note that reminds you, oh yeah, they were training the Iraqis in risk management on you know, explosive disposal. And here's the reason it's important. And you connect for yourself the connection between the story and what they're looking for from the job posting. Then you're prepared in the interview. The second you hear the word risk, you go, oh, that's the risk question. What did Scott tell me to answer? Can you tell me a story about why you're a great fit for this job? Oh yeah, let me tell you this time, my chief Mike and I, we were in Iraq and we were training these people and, and here's what I had to do to analyze risk. And you go into the details using the signs of a great interview. You know, it's funny that you say that, like, don't, don't use scripts. And Mike and I made our super oh, God awful uh, video where we started talking about get to vet and what it, we, we had done that. We had scripted everything out and we just, the whole thing. And it was just like, hi, we're here to shit. Uh, we're, we're going to damn it. And the, <laughs> so finally we just said, you know, screw it. Let's just start talking. And, and that's, yeah, it worked a lot better. As we said, we're not actors. <laughs> this is terrible. Right. Exactly what we said. <laughs> Nobody wants you to. The last thing I want is sending an actor into a war zone to try to do EOD work. No, I want a guy who's a professional in EOD, you know? Um, and so you, you, I think you've already experienced exactly what we're hoping to experience in an interview. That when you're just yourself, there's this authentic way that it comes across. I'm seeing the real you. And very often as a recruiter, I don't think a lot of recruiters do this, but I have very little patience for script reading. I'd interrupt candidates. I'd say, okay, okay. I know you clearly, you know, prepared to answer that question. I'm glad. But like, if I was just your best friend, what would you tell me about that? Like, what's, what's an example? And I, I would help distill that down into, right, here's what I really want. I want to see the real Trevor. I want to meet the real Mike who's going to show up at the office every single day. So that authenticity and you being your full self when you come to the interview, I think is super important because we don't, you ever go to your favorite restaurant? You can picture this, right? You know, when we went to restaurants together, we all sat down at tables, you know, just side by side. Well, think back to those glory days and we'll get there soon. And you know darn well what you're going to eat. Then here comes the server. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you back to the restaurant. Today's specials are A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. The salmon is cooked in this way. It goes with this kind of wine, and the shrimp is a great appetite. You're like, let's get to the point. I don't eat fish. Like, you don't want to hear a script. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens with a recruiter. And it very often happens early on in the interview. And we kind of do this to ourselves as recruiters because we tend to go, all right, welcome to the interview. Can you tell me a little about yourself? And everybody's like, okay, here it is. I get to do my elevator pitch. I have been practicing this. My children are sick of hearing it. My dog has it memorized because I've done it so much at home. Here we go. When I was a young boy growing up in Missouri, I dreamed of serving my country because I saw a movie that inspired me or my dad served or whatever. And the recruiter goes, all right, let's let him finish because he obviously, he thought about this and I'm supposed to let him finish. I don't want to know a little about yourself. What I want to know is why are you a great fit for the job? So the best way to reinterpret, can you tell me a little about yourself, is can you tell me a story about why you're a great fit for this job? And so the best answer as an EOD going to private equity, let's just keep on this train here. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm excited to be here today. And I, I can't wait to talk about how in my job and career, I've spent a lifetime managing risk to make really important and difficult decisions that in high risk environments had significant consequences if we didn't understand the right information. And if we hadn't made a plan to be successful over the long term, both as an individual and leading a team. And you know, I happen to have done this as of all things, an explosives ordinance disposal guy in the Navy which is a fancy term for we made sure things, you know, didn't explode when they weren't supposed to or did explode when we wanted them to. But the focus here is, as you can imagine, there's a lot of risk. And it's important for me to be at ABC Company with you today because what you do matters to me. I've got a passion for private equity and I've even done some investing. So let's let's talk about it. How, how do you think like, you know, because I, I 
after a while, I got sick of that. Part of the reason I left my my first job was because it was just the very kind of traditional way to do it. And it wasn't that I didn't like the people there or anything. I just felt like I needed a new challenge. And sure. so, you know, I went somewhere where I could learn something that I didn't know before. Part of that was getting rid of the elevator pitch. So if you were to say, what's your elevator pitch right now? I would say uh, two, please, because I want to get off this as fast as possible. Um <laughs> Yeah, I just don't, I don't do that anymore. Now I just talk to people. What do you want to know? Um, you know, so I, I, I hate that because I've heard it so many times and people practice it and they, they tell you that like, Oh, go practice it and this and that and that. And I just think it's better if you just know yourself. Right. Uh, I agree. And what I told you, I literally made up as we talked that this is not scripted and that's exactly it. Cause all I did was think back to the couple facts that Mike reminded me from that book and from Signs of a Great Interview Veterans Edition and that candidate, I meant to say, uh, who I had worked with. And I said, oh, that's right. I remember part of his story. And I told it off the cuff, just as Scott, pretending I was the guy, of course, um, because you don't want a script. And that might have sounded you know, pretty well put together because it's not my first rodeo. Of course, I do this. And you'll get there. You'll have an authentic way to tell your story. Because if somebody did, if you did ask somebody, Trevor, you know, what do you want to know? And they said, well, you know, we're really here today to talk about managing risk. You'd be like, man, I manage a lot of risk. And let me, there's a couple examples I can give you, but, and just as talking to me today, you can convey the same information and it doesn't have to be in any sort of pattern. It doesn't have to be in any sort of, you know, strong construct of like the first three sentences need to be this. And then there's two sentences about that. Just be you. And you're doing the right thing. What you need to remember is the best way to be you in an interview is to be the version of yourself that's going to show what you bring to the next chapter of your career. And that means limiting some of the details. It means focusing on what is most important to the recruiter and using the signs of a great interview to tell a story that speaks for itself. And I know you're a big fan of rats versus the star. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So you may have uh, Googled your way into interview tips and invariably you will find people talking about the star method of interview answers. It's an acronym that stands for situation, task, action, and result. And that is true in that those components are what make a story. So I don't disagree that star is a good way to start thinking about it. I just disagree it's the right way to start talking about it in an interview answer. Because when you think about situation and task that you're in in the Navy, it's very different than we're in at, you know, insert name of large company outside of the defense industry. We don't do what you do. So the situation, resolving a war in a war-torn area of the world, okay, we don't do that. The task, getting rid of bombs, we don't do that. The action got rid of bombs and we still don't do that. So what are we really talking about? You're going to lose people in the conversation if you spend too much time talking about the situation and task. Instead, get right to the result. So if you get asked a question about how have you developed relationships with people, just making it up and we'll stay on the EOD train here. So how have you developed relations with people? Well, you could say, well, once upon a time, we deployed to Iraq. And when I mean deployed, I mean we got sent there. And we were there for about six months, and we were attached to the such and such a unit of the whatever. Okay, so we get there, and they didn't really have a good program for Already you've lost the civilian. Instead, say, you know, I'm really proud of the relationships we built with our Iraqi friends. And it was the way I did it was this. I had a cultural advisor there and we went out to dinner first and I, I just talked and got to know this individual who was going to be a key partner for me to understand what my, my friends in Iraq were saying and our partners in Iraq were saying because I don't speak the language, but also what were their priorities. When I took that time to invest early on in meeting with my cultural representative, I got to know everybody better because he understood me well. And then when we went there, we did all this training around this very complicated, safety-sensitive work, and the training was better because our relationship was better. So when I think of building great relationships, I think of Mo, my cultural rep, and how much he really helped me get to know everybody else and be more effective. Yeah, I, I was just saying, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking of like, how would I write some of my stories when I was like... Yeah, a lot of that probably wouldn't be appropriate to bring up during an interview. But 
but yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I was thinking about that, you know, in terms of like, um, and I'm sure you probably, I, I haven't had the chance to read the book shit. I think Mike already has them, but uh, I'll probably snatch them off of him when he's done. Um, as far as like when somebody's getting ready, you know, pre-interview, all that stuff, you know, looking at that, like kind of understanding like, Hey, what are some of the things I need to expect once you get in there? Um, and cause this is something that's a little different. Like both of my job interviews were like, Hey man, I want to come work with you. All right. Um, so <laughs> I, even me, like if I went into a job interview, I would probably completely suck at the first one. So that, you know, what are, what are some of the things that somebody should expect that first interview they go in there for? Uh, well, it depends on kind of how the organization or the company has set up their interview process. So exactly what to expect can be difficult. Um, what you can do to prepare no matter what is to curate a couple of stories you know you want to tell. And to your point, you are going to edit out some of the details. The last time we talked about the smart fifth grader test and, you know, are you uh, using simple language? Are you focused on good news only? And are you getting to the point quickly? And so today we've already talked a little about that too avoiding words like deployed, or I even jokingly said, oh, my chief Mike, well, sounds like he's the head of the police department to most people, right? That doesn't mean what it means to you, to us. But in the good news only um, part of the smart fifth grader test, it's important to recognize, yeah, business of fighting war is not always good news. And sometimes we have really difficult things that have to happen. We don't need to hear about the nitty gritty details. What we need to hear is how to make the world a better place. So your story should focus around that. So that's what you can expect to prepare are a selection of stories that you think address what the recruiter is most likely to ask about using the answer key, the cheat sheet, if you will, to the interview, which is the job posting where you'll gather your intel. The other thing to expect is that there's probably several stages to the interview in many large companies. If there's a recruiter, I actually don't hire anybody in most companies. I am basically a sales agent and I'm going to vet candidates for my boss because she came in and said, hey, I need you to find somebody to do this thing. Here's the skills they better have and it'd be great if they did this. And when I give her talent, I'm saying, hey, I've assessed these candidates against my rudimentary knowledge of the job because I don't do what the boss does. That's her job. She's the expert in HR, let's just say. You know, I am a recruiter, a very slim little component of HR. And I'm good at that. So I don't know everything about union negotiation, contracts, and all those things, or whatever she does. She's told me what to look for, and then I'm sending her talent that matches up closely. So that initial interview with a recruiter or a phone screen is sometimes what it's called, is really just to say, all right, I think I see these things on your resume. Can you validate my thinking here? Can you make sure that I'm seeing the right things? And then it's also to do like a culture check, like, this is the kind of guy we want working with us. What's he like on the phone? Is he nice? <laughs> like little things like that. So when I send you to the boss, you don't make me look terrible. Like, why did you send him? He was a jerk. Oh, sorry. I didn't know. So we're going to screen you first for those kinds of qualities, those, those culture match components that are hard to get off of a resume. So you can expect a screening interview in many organizations, and you can typically expect a hiring manager interview, whether or not there was a screening interview first. And that person is probably your future boss. Sometimes it's a panel of people and maybe one is your future boss and then a couple of partners you work with often in the organization or key team members that will help support you or you'll help support them in the new job. And the best way to figure out what the process is going to be like for the interview is to ask. If they call you and say, hey, we want to do an interview. What day are you available? You say, oh, I'm available on Tuesday. Can I ask some questions? and start to gather intel. With whom will I be interviewing? What is their role? What is the full process of the interview like? Is this the first interview? Is it the last interview? And then you'll start to understand and you can kind of paint a picture. And when you can visualize it, it might actually put you at ease. So asking those questions at the time an interview is booked is super duper important because they're probably not gonna give you an opportunity to have that back and forth until you show up again. So you may as well get that information right up front. And now it's clear what to expect. The other way to set clear expectations in an interview for what comes afterwards, which is an important thing that will be on your mind, is how you answer the last question of an interview. And the last question of almost every interview is, do you have any questions for us? 
And this is a great time to assess whether or not there are more interviews to figure out what the timing is. So you just say, well, would you kindly explain the next steps of the interview process? And they should tell you. Now, a good recruiter has done that already. They'll say, okay, so I've done asking my questions. Before we go to any questions you have, let me paint the picture. Next step is this, then this, then we're going to hire somebody within three weeks. That's a good interviewer. Not everybody's a good interviewer. Because remember this too. Most people doing interviews, they do something else for a living. And now, ah, uh, somebody quit. Darn it, I have to do interviews. I hate doing interviews. Most people don't like this process, even on this side of the desk. At recruiters, we do this for a living. I think most of us like doing interviews like I do. But the hiring manager, Sally, she just wants to get back to doing HR. She doesn't want to be sitting in interviews all day. She's like, hurry up. Let's get the right person in the job. So painting that picture of what's next is good. But the other super valuable question to ask at the end of the interview is, is there anything that we have not yet discussed that is critical for success in this job? And when you ask that, you open up a new part of the conversation. And it's very likely the interviewer is going to say no, because really when we say, do you have any questions for us? That's like recruiter code talk. And it means get out. This interview is over. Like, I'm done asking questions. You can leave now. But to be nice, I'll ask you if you have any questions. So when you ask, is there anything we've not yet discussed that is critical for success in this job? You're opening up the opportunity for them to go, well, you know, we are really looking for somebody who has done X. And then you can throw a Hail Mary pass of a story in at the last moment before the clock goes down to zero and lob into the end zone one more story about why you're a great fit for this job. <laughs> and now you've got a free story you got to tell. So, oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that international experience is important. We didn't even get to talk about my time working in Iraq and let me tell you about the partnerships I built there because I understood culture well, courtesy of making a great relationship in my contact mode. And they may go, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Tell me more. Or they may go, oh, okay, fine. We'll talk about that sometime. And then in the notes, they go, I guess he does have international experience. But at least you got it in there. And another potential outcome to that question, is there anything we've not yet discussed that would be critical to success in this job is, no, you're hired. And then to heck with your story. You don't have to tell it. You can tell it at the water pool someday. <laughs> I prefer that. I mean, you know, I just told you how my last two job interviews went. That's, <laughs> I like to keep it simple. <laughs> I wish it was simpler, Trevor. I really do. And, and I wish this whole rigmarole was not necessary. If it was up to me, just to Scott, and, and I had control of how interviews are conducted, I'll give you the questions I'm going to ask beforehand so you can prepare. And I would make a rule that you're not allowed to write a script if you start reading me a script, we're going to stop. But that way, I would get a person who's well-prepared. I would get answers that are valuable. And the best recruiters also stop and go, okay, you said that. I don't understand. Tell me more. Or they'll go, okay, you mentioned a skill that is just a job description of what you did. Oh, I, I led teams. Okay, great. Can you tell me how you went about leading the teams? Can you tell me the way you led them and an example of how you led them? And a good recruiter will do that. Not every recruiter is going to do that. So you have to prepare to get down to what they really want, which is a story about why you're a great fit for this job. Well, I know, um, you know, probably the other big piece we should talk about at least a little bit before we hop off here this evening or, or what are some of the big no-nos, um, you know, for people that they're kind of new to this. Sure. So uh, you are not expected to be a professional interviewer. That is not your job unless you are a journalist or like a public relations person where you better be on the spot and able to ace any question that comes at you. But that's your craft if you do that. So you're probably pretty comfortable in this environment. Because you are not going to be as you're most comfortable in an interview and because you will still have more you can learn, after every interview, I want you to fill in another tool that I put into Signs of a Great Interview Veterans Edition. It's called the QWERTY card. Now, if you hear QWERTY, you go, where did I hear that before? Oh, back to your keyboard. All the way on the, the letters Q-W-E-R-T-Y stand for questions which were asked that elicited reactions and thank you notes. The QWERTY card is your AAR for the interview. After every interview, I want you to go back and write down the questions you got. 
if possible, do this immediately, like in your car, at the interview office, or as soon as you close the Zoom at your home desk, write down the questions you were asked because you'll never remember them an hour from now. You'll be like, they asked this other thing about, I don't, what was that, something about leadership? Write them down right away. And that's the questions which were asked. Write down the elicited reactions, what kind of response you got to that question. They loved this question, home run, it was awesome. My story really resonated. Or they did not get this at all. I need to go back and redo that story. They had a lot of follow-up questions and it was confusing. And then the TY is prep for your thank you note. Remind yourself who you interviewed with. Oh, it was Sally and it was Bill, great. And remind yourself of their email addresses, like if you got their business card or their contact info, which you should do before you leave the interview so you can write the thank you note. The other thing the QWERTY card lets you do for the thank you note is write a, a little reminder for you of something to talk about. Oh, Sally said her son is headed to the Naval Academy. Maybe you mentioned that in the, in the thank you note. And it's been my pride to serve in our country's Navy. I'm so glad to hear that your family has a heart for service too. A little nod like that helps connect you legitimately and not like in a weird way, just in an authentic way to say, yeah, you know, I really felt some kind of connection in that interview and I think we can work well together. So the biggest mistake after an interview would just be to go, okay, I guess I'm done, let's wait. Let's see what happens. No, take action, fill out your QWERTY card and you'll have a better interview the next time around too. Love it, that's awesome. It's just like going, it's, it's just like you said, you know, the after action review, like we do consistently in the military over and over and over after we do anything, after we do a drill, after we do a mission, and you just improve, you continuously improve upon your past successes and, you know, we'll call them failures, but, you know, I don't think it's a failure whether you get, because I did an, an interview for the legislative fellowship up at the Pentagon. And one of the, and I, I had interviewed for almost, you know, 30 years since I was a, a bagger at Foodland in, in Vienna, West Virginia. So, and I was nervous as can be. But the only way I calmed myself was I was just going to go in there and be authentic. And I put myself at ease by thinking, you know, this really wasn't my job to begin with. So if I don't get it, that's okay. And I thought, you know, I was a master chief at the time. So I was like, well, you know, I don't really have anything to be ashamed of. If I don't get this, it's okay. And I think that really helped put my mind at ease and allowed me to go in there. And I did tell stories and for some reason I got on the right path and, and a lot of my stories did resonate, you know, and, and I ended up getting selected for it. But uh, I, I, I think, you know, that, that I did when I, when I left that interview, I discussed it with my CEO who, or my former CEO who worked up in the Pentagon uh, downstairs and we talked about some of the things I said, and he's like, you know, we, we, we AAR, AAR the uh, interview as soon as I walked out. And, and I, and I still talk about, we talk about it on other episodes, you know, my interview in that, in the Pentagon. <laughs> and I will, I will continue to learn from that interview as I continue to learn from other interviews as I go along in this process. That's super cool, Mike. And I, I'm glad you did that. And, you know, that is winning in an interview, learning something, learning something about yourself learning something about interviews. I know that when you interview for a job, there's a lot of emotion in it. You need a job to pay the bills. You know, you want this job, that's why you applied for it. And there's something in you that goes, ah, wow, what, what if? And a lot of us start to you know, measure the drapes in the office before we even get like, oh, well, that means that I could move to X, Y, and Z place and oh, the money that'll come with. And you start to visualize it. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's fine to have aspirations and it's fine to have some thoughts around you know, what could be and be excited about it. But invest a lot of that energy in saying, you know what, this is going to be a learning process. And I am just there to share the perspective between two parties. If my perspective is not a perspective that aligns with what they need for the job, it's just not the right job for you or not the right time for you. And a lot of times it's out of your control. There are a lot of factors going into who gets the job and most often there's one job and more candidates than, than jobs. So somebody's got to not get selected and it's most people who apply don't get selected. Doesn't devalue you or mean you're not good enough. It just means that somebody else was selected and you might be a really close second place. And like if they had two jobs, they'd take you. 
or you could be far off the mark and maybe this was the wrong way for you to head. You don't know unless you ask. So if you do get declined for a job offer, ask for feedback and also expect you will not get it. Because civilians are super hesitant to give any feedback. What we don't want to do is equip you with information about why you're not good enough or any tell a lawyer that might get me in trouble. You know, it's like, well, he said this and maybe what he meant was this. And so maybe there's some illegal thing he did. No, I don't think most recruiters do anything unscrupulous. I don't think most recruiters are out to get you. Most recruiters are on your side. Again, you are the solution to a problem we have an opening on our team that we really need to fill to do our job better. And if you're not the solution we pick this time, you might be the solution we pick next time. Because 40% of veterans leave their job within one year. That guy's likely to quit if he was a vet too, right? Uh, that's just the first job. That's not to say veterans had poor job stability. I'm not citing that at all. I'm just saying the first transition, there's a high attrition rate if you've not done the homework to say, is it really what I want? And is this opportunity right for me? There, there are more opportunities out there. And Mike, to wrap that idea, you said something really smart at the beginning of that. And I'll paraphrase it by saying, you didn't have that job when you walked into the interview. So if you don't have it when you walked out, you're exactly where you were, just as successful you were when you walked in. Except now you're also smarter about one more interview. It's a, you know, something that you were talking about there, I was, I was thinking about because over the last few years, one one thing that I've noticed is, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys who've gone in and, and done really good on interviews. And during the process of the interview, you know, the company talked about it and then they, you know, they call them back and they said, hey, you know what? Uh, we wanted to thank you for coming in. Um, we're not going to hire you for that specific job that you applied for, but we want you in our organization. So we're actually going to create a position for you. Yes. That is not an uncommon story. Now, I don't want everybody to think, oh, well, if they don't hire me, they'll just make a job. Like Some places have yeah. the opportunity to do that, uh, especially when you have a really rare skill set or they didn't realize that you were available and have this skill. And though they're not ready to hire, they'll move up the hiring process. They go, oh, well, we were planning to add EOD skills to our, our um, you know, skill tree of services we offer next year. But who? Mike's available? We're going to do that now. Because here he is or whatever skill, it doesn't have to be your technical skill that they do that for, but more often jobs that are created for people are because you have something really unique to offer. They don't want to lose you. They like you. And they're like, we need this guy here one way or another, or this gal, by the way. Um, and we need to make sure she's successful here. So we'll find a way to land her in a great job. And even if it's not what any of us thought from the get-go. And most organizations have more than one job at some point, and so you could be considered deeper down the line. So always leave with a positive impression and always thank the recruiter, even if they're not hiring you, you thank them sincerely for investing the time and you know, work to build the relationship. If we're salespeople, essentially as recruiters, we're building up a supply of great talent that we might be able to sell, so to speak, their skills to the boss down the line. And so maybe not this job, but two jobs later, I go, hey, remember me? We interviewed together like six months ago. You still on the market? Because I've got this thing I think you'd be great for. Yeah, it's always you know, keep them in the Rolodex. That's for sure. Keep that positive impression. It's true. I think, you know, that, that goes to the importance of, of following up. But uh, to, to use your own, uh, something you talked about earlier, because I know you got a, a time limit here. Anything else that uh, we didn't cover that you, that you wanted to dive into before we hop off here? Well, I uh, mentioned during the last uh, Signs of a Great Resume um, podcast we did together that the Patriot qualities, that you can make sure those come through. The same is true in, in, in an interview. So if you didn't hear the other podcast, it was, uh, I possess values. I'm accountable, trainable, respect, respectful. I take initiative. I'm on time and a team player. Those are the ways that you can paint the color into your story to weave in your values into the story that you tell. In addition to the signs of a great interview, you could really show and help me get to know the real person, the real you, whose values should align with the organization you're going to go to. And if your values don't align and they don't hire you because of that, they're doing you a favor because you don't wanna work somewhere that doesn't work the way you like to work with strong integrity, with a sense of purpose, with good camaraderie and all the qualities you found in the military 
you can have that in your next job. You just have to find an uh, opportunity where all of those are in alignment. And the best way for them to see that alignment is for you to tell a story that speaks for itself. Scott, thanks again. I mean, I think you just, you're, you're the true subject matter expert on not only the resumes, but the interviews. And we, it's so great to have you on the podcast again and really appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, I know you're a really busy man. And like I said before, you're, you're a patriot, just not in the uniform, not in the uniform every day. And, and uh, thanks so much for doing what you do for, you know, not just the veteran community, but, you know, the stuff you put in the book and what you pass on the knowledge. It's, that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Just pass on the knowledge for folks through this medium and get the information out there because I think people need to hear it. Appreciate it. Did I? <laughs> Thanks, Trevor. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you guys are doing to share that information and uh, to help others. And that, you know, is my kind of last little nugget on there. When you land in a civilian job, Take the time to get your sea legs, so to speak. Take the time to feel confident and comfortable in it. And as soon as you feel like, okay, I can relax a second, look behind you. There's 200,000 or more veterans coming down every single year that are going to have the same worries you just had four months ago or eight months ago or a year ago. And reach out and support those other veterans that were transitioning service members who are on that journey too. Because it's important for them to see the E9 who didn't know what to do in an interview. My chief, he knew everything. What do you mean he didn't know what to do in an interview? Well, great. tell them that. Be vulnerable and show, hey, here's what I learned. I wish somebody would have told me it and let me help you. Let me help you just learn from my experience. You don't have to be an expert in career transition. Just be an expert in you and know that people like me are here to help you. Uh, if you want more information, you can learn more at scottbetter.com and please connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure there'll be links posted uh, when this uh, gets posted on your site as well. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Scott Vetter, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Scott Vetter, author of Signs of a Great Interview and Signs of a Great Resume. Check out his books. Uh, they're on Amazon, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I, I need to go. Well, actually, I'm just going to take Mike's when he's done with them. So thanks for coming by, Scott. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott. Great seeing you again. You too, Mike. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.